Who was here last week? What did Oren talk about? <laughs> Recollection? As in recalling what? <laughs> I'm just worried I'm about to give the same talk that he gave. <laughs> so I'm checking. Yeah, Lisa. Um, it was where you would focus on one thing, right? And uh, it would bring your mind kind of together. It could be, um, there were various themes of recollection. That okay. That's nothing like what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> oh, good. Orn is um, very skilled in communication, and he may have talked about that a little bit. He teaches nonviolent communication and has a workshop coming up, and so I thought for sure that's what he talked about. And it occurred to me only as I came in and dropped off some of his flyers for that workshop, already having planned to talk about wise speech. (laughs) I thought, well... Uh, this might be repetitive, but then again, why speech is one of those talks that, you know, if you've been in this game for a while, you've heard a wise speech talk uh, maybe a handful of times, if not more. And um, it seems to be one of those topics that every time I know myself, when I hear it, it's always such a great uh, reminder of the importance of speech because we forget (laughs) to bring mindfulness to our speech sometimes. When I I told my husband that this was the topic tonight, he said, great, Uh, because wise speech or bringing mindfulness to speech is like bringing mindfulness to breathing. You're breathing all the time and you're talking all the time. (laughs) So it seems like a natural place to bring the practice. And it's true. We're constantly communicating in one form or another. And sometimes we forget that this is a very important place to bring our attention, to bring our practice. So, wise speech is uh, its part of the Eightfold Path. This is uh, the Buddha often throughout the suttas said, I teach uh, two things. I teach about dukkha, suffering, unsatisfactoriness, and I teach the way to the end of suffering. And that way to the end of suffering includes the eightfold path, eight factors to cultivate. And part of this path is a... Uh, section on sila or virtue or harmlessness, how to cultivate harmlessness in your life. And within that section is wise speech or right speech. Bringing mindfulness to our speech is to bring understanding that what we say matters what we say has an effect on ourself, our own mental stability, our own uh, well-being, as well as the well-being and mental stability of the people around us. We can create disconnect. We can create 
great rifts and destruction with our words. We can also create harmony and connection and beauty and wisdom with our words. So our words are important. To bring mindfulness to our speech is also to understand that once we say something, we can't take it back. (laughs) It's out there. And nowadays, more than ever, it's out there, right? (laughs) So now it's not just what you say, what comes out of your mouth, but what you type on your computer and hit the send button. Or perhaps it's what you text and send out into the world. So now, more than ever, the things that we say have this ripple effect, have a now an everlasting presence sometimes. So what we say really does matter. The Buddha talked quite a bit about wise speech, as I'm sure you can imagine. This is directly from one of the suttas, very simple, saying, and what is right speech? Abstaining from lying, divisive speech, from abusive speech, and from idle chatter. This is called right speech or wise speech. So very simple. And you'll notice as you, as you read the suttas that often uh, it comes from the bent of the negative, the things to, to um, restrain yourself from or the things to keep away from or not to do. So we'll talk about these things that, I'm going to break it down a little bit, these things that he says to try to refrain from when practicing right speech. But there's also the opposites of all of these uh, different aspects of speech, the opposites to cultivate. So when we're not engaged in harsh speech, what's the opposite of that? When we're not engaged in idle chatter, then what's the opposite of that? So I want to bring both of these two alive to see what is it to be speaking with wisdom, from a place of wisdom. But before I go into these very specific categories of speech, I want to talk about presence and embodiment. Oftentimes, when we talk about bringing wisdom to speech and just bringing attention to speech in general, I feel like we orient to this part of our body, our head. Does this ring true? If you think, think about it for a moment, if you were bring, bringing mindfulness to your speech, what area of your body do you bring your attention to? The face, maybe. This is where it's coming from. The head, because perhaps this is where it's being created. The words are being created cognized. The thing about this is that in order to bring awareness to our speech, we have to stop separating our head experience from our body experience, as if the two were different. Our mind experience from our body experience. Our emotional experience from our mind experience. All of this goes together And if we're going to bring mindfulness to our action, to our speech, then presence, embodiment is necessary. It's not 
a cognitive game that we're playing necessarily. This is a practice that is embodied. It's an embodied practice. And so what do I mean by this? Being present in the body, being embodied. Right now as you're sitting here, feel your body here. Feel your body on the chair or the floor. In whatever way it is, you don't even have to adjust, although once you bring attention to it, you might find that you want to move your body a little bit. Maybe it's not so comfortable as you thought. And that's fine. You can move your body and adjust if you'd like. Noticing your hands and where your hands are. Noticing your breath within your body and seeing how you're breathing right now. Can you feel your breath through your whole torso? Is it shallow, feeling like it's somewhere up here? How are your shoulders and your neck? Mine are feeling pretty tight. So you can explore just being in your body as we're sitting here. Bringing attention to your face, noticing your cheekbones, your jaw, your mouth, your eyes and their sockets, the forehead. Seeing what is the experience going on right now in my body. Notice also what you're feeling right now. What's the emotional content? Maybe there's words for it, maybe there's not. But exploring right now what emotions are affecting my perception right now. Am I feeling calm and relaxed? Am I feeling anxious and antsy and wanting to uh, move or it's hard to stay still? Are you feeling bored? And maybe a little lethargic, a little sleepy. Just noticing what's true for you as you're sitting here. Becoming more embodied. Becoming more aware of just the overall experience of being you right now. The reason this is important to our actions and to our speech is that all of this informs what our perception is in this moment. It informs us. It gives us more information. What am I about to say? Is it something that comes out of a place of peacefulness, of ease of just being here? Or do I feel kind of awkward and stiff and tight and I don't really know what to say? We say weird things in those moments, don't we? (laughs) When we're feeling socially awkward and strange and as if we're supposed to say something. Is it coming from that? Is it coming from kindness and compassion, openness of heart? Or is it coming from a place of tightness and resentment, a place of anger, frustration? Noticing the full picture of where this is coming from. We can't know this by just bringing attention to our mind and to our head. This is information that we get from being embodied, being fully here, being fully present. 
It's not easy to do. And sometimes being present fully in the body, in the mind, in our emotions, in the Vedana of the experience, the ple- is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? Bringing attention to all of this can feel a bit like you know, patting the head and rubbing the stomach at the same time. If you're holding yourself and holding all of this information and then you're going to speak, how do we do all of this at the same time? So maybe you're wondering that. And it takes practice. But it's also really possible. So as I'm talking right now, I'm very much aware of my body. I'm aware of all of you as I'm looking around and making eye contact and being present with you, but I'm also very aware of what's going on in my body. My body feels not fully comfortable right now. I can feel a little bit of jittery energy, maybe a little over-caffeinated from what I drank with dinner this evening, maybe just jittery from being up here. I don't know, it doesn't really matter, but I can feel it. It's not pleasant but I can be with it and I can speak still from a place that I intend to speak from, a place where I'm, what I'm hoping is authentic, kind, compassionate, present with you. So all of this is going on at the same time. So all of it can be held. Nothing has to be rejected in this moment. It can all be right here in this room, right here in this body. This is the amazing thing about this practice. Nothing has to be rejected. Nothing has to change right now if I'm present with what's here. If I can speak and act from a place of authenticity, but also from a place that uh, meets these, these areas of wise speech, as I'm speaking to you. So as I go through this, uh, the, this list of different types of speech and what to cultivate, what to refrain from, I'd like you to stay in touch with your body. See if you can stay embodied while I'm doing this. And there'll be times where your attention leaves because that's what it does. (laughs) We all know this really well. We just sat 40 minutes. I'm sure that many of you experienced the mind leaving and getting distracted and sucked into thought and, uh, you know, the drama of the mind. And then you come back. It's really no big deal. It's just acknowledging what the mind likes to do and then giving it a new task, staying present. And so you'll do this over and over as I'm giving this talk. And see if you can keep coming back to the body Coming back to being embodied. Okay. And I'll remind you as we go along. So, the first, uh, the first topic or the first uh, part of wise speech, restraining from lying. I think that we've all learned this from a really young age, that lying uh, is not a wholesome activity. It's not a wholesome way of speaking. So this isn't very surprising that this would be part of this list, right? But we find ourselves sometimes doing it anyway, huh? In different ways. You know, we have 
different ways of categorizing our lives. Uh, it's just a little lie, a little white lie. You know, it's not a big deal. Or an exaggeration, uh, an embellishment. You know, these are, these are maybe really harmless um, ways that we decorate our speech to make it more interesting, make ourselves more interesting, uh, make the experience one that we can connect m- more with somebody else. Do you ever find yourself making an exaggeration so that you're more impressive or more able to connect with somebody else? So this actually follow- falls under this category of impeccable honesty. And this is why this is a practice, because for some of us, and me included, I, I love to exaggerate <laughs> and embellish. I find myself doing this quite a bit. This is a hard one for me, personally. You know, this is something that we do. And for some of us, it's even cu- cultural, that this is just part of our culture. It's how we've learned to speak. We've learned it from our parents and our relatives and the people in our community. So it might not seem like a big deal. Maybe it's not such a big deal. The thing about this speech, it's not about, you know, being a bad person. You're not a bad person if you do this, right? You're not a bad person if you exaggerate. It's about impeccability. It's about bringing attention to the subtle parts of our lives. When we tell a lie, we know it. We, we generally know. When we tell an intentional lie, we know that we're doing that. It doesn't take much to bring attention to that. But when we're exaggerating or embellishing or even sarcasm, when we're using speech in these other ways, it's so subtle and not so easy to catch, maybe not so easy to notice. So I think this is why this part of uh, why speech, where it starts to get subtle like this, take, bringing attention to the subtle ways that we aren't impeccably honest, uh, is so important. It increases our ability to um, pay attention. It increases our ability to become more impeccable with our speech. And also to question whether or not these areas are important to us. What do we think about these areas? All of this is open for questioning. These aren't commandments. You know, this, it's not, you're going to hell if you exaggerate. <laughs> it's just, notice what it's like when you know someone who exaggerates a lot. It's hard to really take them at their word. You kind of take everything with a grain of salt, Right? And so noticing that in others, maybe noticing that in yourself, and, and really reflecting on what kind of ripples with our speech do we want to make in the world? What kind of example do we want to be in the world? So all of this is up for, for contemplation. So the reverse of that, perhaps, then would be cultivating truth-telling, telling the truth. We do this most of the time. (laughs) I'd say most of us are in the habit of just saying what's true. Maybe we don't even have to think about it very much. 
But sometimes telling the truth is really hard. Sometimes it means that we're going to say something that someone else doesn't want to hear. Maybe it's uh, getting involved in a topic that makes us nervous to get involved in. Perhaps it's seeing an injustice and knowing that uh, to speak up is to bring attention to, to yourself or to your words. And for some people, this is really scary. This can bring up quite a bit of fear. And that's understandable. It's, it says something about our words, right? How powerful our words really are. And in this practice, truth-telling is really important. And we see this in our, in our culture as well, just how important truth-telling is. I think that now we're living in a world where we are bombarded by a lot of media. In fact, just listening to the news this morning, it was kind of comical. I was laughing out loud at some point where they were talking about this horrific storm and, and the, <laughs> the words that they were using of, were just, you, you'd think that maybe this was it. This was the end of the world. <laughs> and it was, you know, there were, there were moments where it was pretty b- bad out there. Um, but the exaggerating and uh, even the, the kind of fear-provoking, you know, which I think has become quite a habit in some of our media, that we're fed a lot of fear, and we're, and I think because it sells, right? We're attracted to it. Our, we're hardwired to look for what's wrong right now, right? And so our m- m- media, I think, has caught on. And so they're standing in front of uh, a tree that lost a, a limb and was in the middle of a road, and you would think that, you know, all the trees in Berkeley had fallen down or something like that. And, uh, you know, we live in a world like this where exaggeration and accuracy, sometimes just flat-out truth-telling isn't always available. And so when we look at it in that way and reflect on ourselves and what do we want to put out into the world, how do we want to hold our our space, our presence, our embodiment. How important is truth-telling to us? And do we actually um, meet that importance with our words and with our actions? Do we engage impeccably in this way, telling the truth, being truthful? The writer George Orwell says, in times of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. Perhaps that's true. Sometimes it may feel that way. I think, though, the more and more we become accustomed to it, the more and more it becomes the habit of the way we are, I think it's not so revolutionary. It becomes more our inclination 
to a point where perhaps any other way just doesn't make sense. And we know people like that, right? We know people like that. Where we know no matter what, they're going to tell us the truth. And we go to people like that when we want to hear the truth. Tell me what you really think about this. We trust them. There's a lot of trust that's built with those people. That's something to think about. So the next category is restraining from divisive or malicious speech. You know, I think most of us most of us want to be treated in a way that's kind and compassionate. And most of us want to treat others in this way as well. And we get caught, though, in perhaps old habits. I think especially this time of year when we start uh, being around family, uh, uh, friends on the holidays, or, or perhaps just getting a little overwhelmed by the pace of things. I don't know if you notice, but I really feel like the pace of things speeds up at this time of year. A time of year that I think has historically been a time to go inward and to slow down. There's something that has sped it up. And so I think we get thrown a little bit or we get stuck in being in old habits. We find ourselves around people that make us feel like we're 10 years old or 18 years old and suddenly we're saying things thinking why am i why am i behaving like this this young part of ourselves can come out or perhaps our patience becomes really low and we end up saying things that maybe we don't even really mean when we step back and think about it when we re-embody ourselves Re-embody ourselves and notice, what do I really feel about this? I think this is where we end up slipping on this one, with the, this malicious speech. Especially around the people we know best. Right? We know just where that soft spot is, and our words can be that dagger that hits it if we're not careful. It can happen just like that. So fast, our words just get flung out of our mouths or we hit that send button (laughs) with conviction (laughs) and we end up hurting somebody else. Maybe that was the intention even. Maybe that was the intention. You know, I work with a lot of kids and we talk about what is it to be kind to some people? And what is it like to not be so kind? And oftentimes they remind me uh, that sometimes being mean feels really good. <laughs> I say, you're right. It does feel really good. Sometimes it feels really good, but it's really temporary, isn't it? I think we know this more and more as we get older. The consequences 
externally and internally when we are malicious with our speech and actions. Our connection with that person can easily be broken. Our trust from that person can easily be broken. Our trust in ourself. Have you ever been really mean or you said something and then the other person was at some point able to shrug it off, but you keep replaying it. (laughs) I'm such an awful person. I can't believe I said that. So the internal experience, what it does to us when we engage in this way, it kind of stokes the fire a little bit, or maybe a lot of bit. Stokes the fire of that internal restlessness and and doubt in ourself and who who is this person? Or maybe even stokes the fire about the situation and we keep replaying the situation. I could have said it like this. Or if I had said it this way, that would have really got them. And you can see yourself kind of tumbling forward into this energy of anger, hatred, and maliciousness. We can plan all sorts of things, (laughs) horrible things to do to other people when we're in this space. We're all capable of it. There's no one in this room that's not capable of it. I'm sure of it. The thinking of it anyway, hopefully not the actions of it. But who knows? We're human. And so this malicious speech can just be the match to stoke that fire sometimes. So harmonious speech, if we're restraining from this malicious speech, harmonious speech is the speech to cultivate. When I think about harmonious speech, I think of my grandmother, Grandma Hassett. Grandma Hassett was an impeccable, uh, uh, harmonious speech maker. (laughs) There could be a group of people together talking about someone else, and this actually goes into our our next topic um, a little bit. Uh, The next one being uh, harsh, abusive, an insulting speech, very, very much the same thing. Uh, but a bunch of people together um, gossiping about another person, maybe in the community or in their church, someone down the, the street. Uh, and we all engage in this way sometimes. Yeah? So gossiping, it can be really juicy. It can be a way for us to, commute, to connect with other people, Right? We can connect with other people by putting somebody out (laughs) of that connection. Uh, So there's something about this kind of speech that can be really enticing, right? And my grandma was the type that would listen and maybe even agree, but would always end by saying something really kind about that person, creating this harmony that brings that person back to everybody else's realization of, oh yeah, they're, they're a full person. So it might be they're talking about someone and 
you know, oh, she just lets her kids run all over the neighborhood. <laughs> and they're, they're just wild. The kids are just wild. I don't know what's going on in that household or what she's doing as a mother, right? And my grandmother might say, yeah, you're right. The kids are wild. They are all over the place. And, boy, you know, I think she's, she really does the best that she can. She works so hard. She has two jobs. She really works the best that she can, and she does the best she can. And in that moment, it just stops. All that other fire energy of uh, malicious, dis- divisive speech. Because suddenly she's brought in the attention that here is this full human that has flaws and also has a beauty. And we all have that. We all have our flaws and we all have our beauty. And so harmonious speech sometimes is just looking for the beauty in others and bringing that to light. It's so easy to find the flaws. Like I said, we're hardwired this way to find the flaws, some of us more than others. (laughs) You might know who you are. We can really easily get into those ruts of looking for the flaws in others and ourselves in situations, harmonious speech sometimes is looking for the beauty, the beauty that's still there woven within the flaws. So harmonious speech makes me think of my grandmother. And you can maybe uh, think of someone in your life that has that ability to bring in harmonious speech or someone that you no, an iconic figure that just seems to represent that level of, of speech. And see if that's something that you can bring into yourself, even just right now as you're sitting here, imagining that person. If you can't think of that person, make one up. <laughs> Create a being an energy, perhaps. Imagine what it would be like if that person or that being was just sitting right there inside of ourselves, allowing us to embody that harmony, that harmonious speech, that ability, something that really is alive in each of us. It doesn't belong to any one person. Sometimes those people, I know when I think of my grandmother in this way, I think of her as being a bit benevolent. But really, she's just a person who, who cared in this way. And it's not outside any of our abilities. So perhaps when you're feeling like that's way outside of your ability, imagining this person taking over. Imagine this person's ability actually being something that you can embody and try it out. See what it's like to be that person who steps in the middle of the harsh speech, the divisive speech, to give another option to the people around you. Even interrupting your own line of speech. I've done that before where I find myself in that rut of negative divisive, (laughs) and I can catch myself and go, oh, but you know, (laughs) maybe it's not so bad. 
They're really doing the best they can. Maybe I should be a little more compassionate. You know, just putting the pause button on and shifting a little bit. Right in the middle of it all. It's something to try out. See what that feels like. I always feel like so much stronger when I'm speaking in this way, speaking from a harmonious place. I feel a little whiny <laughs> when I'm speaking in these other ways. I kind of, there's a weakness to it. You can check it out. It, there's a feeling of weakness to it. And then when you can really stand in that place of harmony with your speech, there's quite a bit of strength. Okay. So another piece to cultivate here is patience. Yeah, slowing down. Slowing down and waiting until it's timely. Sometimes what we need to say isn't so kind. Maybe it feels really right to say something that is divisive and not so kind. I can, I can think of times where it just felt really okay. Cultivating patience, slowing it down, allowing time to pass before making that decision. Maybe this isn't always possible, especially when we're right in the heat of it. Though we've all probably walked away from a situation. Never done that? Just said, I can't say anything more. I'm going to say something that I don't want to say and walked away. Or didn't even say that and just walked away because you knew you needed to slow it down. Cultivating this ability to bring in more patience. Sometimes it's just we're a little irritated. and It's kind of like the situation or the other person's words or just how we're feeling. You know, you wake up and you're in that bad mood and it carries through the day and you're just grumpy. (laughs) And everything that you see and interact with is just annoying and not quite right. You ever have those days? Where, you know, in the same situation, if you were feeling great about yourself, (laughs) you're walking around just feeling like, everything's so wonderful. (laughs) And the same people you interacted with, and they're in the same space, or maybe the same kind of situations, and you just feel like you can take it all in and have compassion and openness. So how we feel really does sometimes affect our speech and our actions, the way we're perceiving And filtering the world around us can have a huge effect on how we end up responding. Yeah, so when we're in those spaces of agitation, annoyance, not quite right, cultivating patience, remembering that it will all change, that this is just the state of mind, that it's not something that will be here forever. Cultivating patience not to act and speak from that place of grumpiness, of agitation, and seeing what that's like. 
This can be really nice if you're in relationship to cultivate a way together to clue each other in when you're in that space and it's just not time to have whatever the conversation is that there's a feeling needs to happen in that moment. Having some kind of signal that this is not the time, that the patience isn't there, or that there's patience that's being cultivated in that moment that's not strong enough to meet the moment with wise speech. This can be really helpful uh, within relationship. So the last one is restraining from idle chatter. This might seem like a strange one to have in here with all these other ones that seem like they're so obviously creating disconnect and creating disharmony. Idle chatter, this kind of speech that fills the silence, fills the, the chance for us to actually connect with one another by just talking. Talking in a way that's not connected. You know, there's politeness and there's, there's social norms where we ask our, each other certain things that might seem trivial, but actually they're a way for us to connect. I don't actually think these fall under idle chatter. Others may disagree with me on that. But I think that there are uh, things that seem trivial that aren't actually so trivial. They are ways for us to connect with each other. And then... There are those times where we're just filling the space, filling the silence with our words. Nothing meaningful. Maybe it started out meaningful, but we've been going on for a while. (laughs) And the people who were listening to us in one moment, they're not listening anymore. But we just keep going because we feel uncomfortable not having something said. Fear of the silence what would happen if neither of us were talking right now? For some people, this is unbearable, and this might be true for you. And it makes a lot of sense for me that that would feel really unbearable. So we do live in a culture where there isn't a lot of silence. There's not a lot of just being together. I can't tell you now how many times I've been in a restaurant or some kind of public area where I'll see a whole group of people together and they're all on their cell phones texting. (laughs) I think maybe even texting each other (laughs) across the table. Have you seen this? And it kind of breaks my heart. And I think it really falls in this area of wise speech where we just fill the space with our words, whether they're written down or typed down or spoken. we're not embodied often in these moments. Not present with ourselves or with the other person. We talk over people in these moments. And we've experienced it the other way too, where we just feel like someone's speaking at us instead of to us. There's not that connection. The cultivation piece to this then, if we're restraining from idle chatter, is listening. 
Listening is such an important piece to wise speech. Just to listen. So much to learn by listening. In the third Zen patriarch, there's a piece of it that I just love, and I think James actually quotes it quite a bit. Stop talking and thinking, and there is nothing you will not be able to know. Stop talking and thinking, and there is nothing you will not be able to know. When we can stop and listen and pay attention, this is what we do in our practice, right? We're stopping and we're listening. Listening to our body, our mind, our surroundings, our inner experience. Stop thinking and speaking. For some of us, we're really comfortable in this place. As meditators, perhaps, more than in other groups, we get really comfortable with listening or with the quiet. But sometimes maybe we're not so comfortable being in that space in a group of people or with another person, as if we have a social obligation to fill the space to make them comfortable. So try this on for size, being an example of stillness and quiet and listening. Being an example for others that may not really experience that from other people. I think this is a beautiful gift that we can offer. Simply listening, simply being present with another person without having to jump in, without having to give our opinion to everything. I was listening, I was in conversation with a friend just recently who was going through a lot in her life and was sharing this with me. And I could just, I could feel every now and then something come up, something that I thought was just so wise that I felt I needed to offer (laughs) her, which maybe these things that were coming up, maybe they would have been helpful. But there was something else inside me that just wanted to listen and and just wait and give space because she just kept going. And it was really wonderful. As she kept going, she started to bring in her own wisdom to what was going on for her. I didn't actually have to say a thing, even though she did actually come to me for some advice. All I did was listen and be really present with her. And as we sat there together and she was telling her story, her own insights arose. I would have completely interrupted that process had I interjected with my own insights. Maybe that wouldn't have been a horrible thing, but the natural flow between us would have, I think, been broken. And that natural flow for her to process and work through what she was going through wouldn't have been uh, perhaps so poignant. Because what was her own wisdom was really meeting what her needs were. And all I did was listen and be present. I think this is a great gift that we can give to ourselves. It feels good when we can do this as well as others. 
So lastly, I'll just say the importance of how we speak to ourself also falls under this category, though it's not talked about very much. And I'm not even sure I've read anything in the sutta, although maybe there's, there are things in there about this. But all of these topics apply to how we speak to ourselves internally. How do we speak to ourselves? Is it with kindness, truthfulness? Is it just idle chatter in there? Is it harsh? Is it timely? Or is it kind, compassionate, creating harmony within yourself? Something to notice. How do we speak to ourselves? How we speak to ourselves will greatly influence how we speak to others. If we can be kind to ourselves, it will be no problem at all to be kind to others. If we're compassionate to ourselves, if if we're really honest with ourselves, being honest and compassionate towards others is not that radical, not that difficult. So maybe I'll just stop there so we can hear from each other for just a a little while, take some questions, or if you have any comments, I'd love to hear them on this topic of wise speech. What does this bring up for you? When is it difficult? When is it really easy? What are you good at in this area? What are you working on? Yeah, let's open it up to a conversation. Hi, I think that um, a lot of speech takes place in an environment that's very stimulating. It's a Mm -hmm. party, it's a business meeting, and my mindfulness goes out the door, and I'm wondering if you have any advice for how to mitigate that. Yeah. Yeah, so these kind of high-energy environments, right, where maybe it's just bouncing off of each other's speech patterns and energy. Trying to think of what I do in those moments, because it is really difficult. I think, find your feet. (laughs) That sounds funny, but that's what's coming to mind. It's find your feet. Ground yourself. Finding your feet is a wonderful way to really quickly become grounded and embodied again. And notice just how you're feeling. If you want to slow it down in that moment, you can slow it down. But it's not really an option when we're just operating off of everybody else and we're not actually present, right? And so even while I'm saying it, if you can just feel your feet, can you feel your feet? Yeah. I think it can be that simple. Because once we're present with ourselves and we're knowing how we're feeling about what's being said, what we want to really say, 
what direction we'd like the conversation to go in, we, all of a sudden we have all this choice. Do we want to walk away from the conversation? Maybe we're actually feeling uncomfortable and we didn't even notice it until that moment. Maybe we're saying things that we really don't want to be saying, but we're just saying them because we're caught in that kind of energy, right? So suddenly we have a lot more choice. Simply by bringing attention into the body can help facilitate that. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for speaking into the mic. It helps, I think, for everyone to be able to hear and also since it's being recorded. I was thinking a lot about the timeliness of Mm -hmm. speech um, and also the the mode of the communication. Um, I often will have, like, impulses to say something in the moment, either like, well, you shouldn't be doing that right now, Mm -hmm. this thing that you're doing, or... I'll, you know, have this thought. It's like I need to email this person this feedback right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've gotten into the habit of trying to to hold those and tend to them and nurture them until mm-hmm. it's appropriate. With the emails, I've gotten into the habit of sending those to myself instead <laughs> of them. That's great. You know, and I've got the 11 p.m. email to the person that I'm... Yep. <laughs> 11 p.m. is an awful time to be sending out email. Anything Anything can happen. Um, Yeah. And and then, you know, (laughs) holding those with some compassion and thoughtfulness over time until they're ready to receive it from a good place and I'm ready to give it from a good place and then making time for it Mm -hmm. and then being able to sandwich it with some love and Mm -hmm. have a conversation and then just how much not just how much better the conversations go in general, but actually how it produces such constructive connection yeah. um, when people see the attention and the love that you put into the delivery as well. Yeah, that's great. And so the the emailing and texting thing just really resonated with me earlier too, just because of how that, as a form of communication, can really cause connections to s- slip, not just because we're not talking face-to-face, but because of all the miscommunications. Yeah, it's true. It's hard to gauge someone's emotions, too, in an email, right? An email can be sent, and it's short, and it's it can, you know, maybe feel, I don't know, we can interpret so many different things from an email. You know, there isn't a big smiley face at the end of it. What are they thinking? <laughs> you know, are they saying that to me with anger or frustration, or is it just a quick kind of curt email. It's hard to say. It's hard to know. And even the perfectness of the email can be construed as like how much energy they put into this (laughs) and therefore they are spun up over it. Yeah. It's a really interesting way of communicating where we're given actually very little communication or very little information about the communication. You know, as mammals, we communicate through much more than just our speech. We communicate through body language and even the tone of our voice, right? And it all gets cut out in an email. It's really tricky. I love your suggestions, though, and how you're working with it. That's really helpful, I think. Others will relate to that, too. Yeah. Erica. 
Maybe this is our last one. Um, I had like an interesting response to when you were saying about uh, when you were talking about how sometimes it feels almost good to be mean, right? Or um, um, and what resonated with me finally was that you know honesty is hard. Honesty is really hard, and sometimes you know you can say it's it could come off as mean, but it could also just come off as really honest. And what comes to my mind is working with kids who are just painfully honest and don't know (laughs) anything else, you know. So whereas adults will sit around and watch, you know, someone talk with like a piece of lettuce in their teeth and will just stare at it, you know, because no one wants to, you know, make the move of like embarrassing that person or, you know, being honest and be like, oh, you got, you know, so we'll just sit there and we'll stare at it. Whereas a child would not let you talk, you know, open your mouth more than two seconds before bringing that up. And it's something that I struggle with, though. I feel like I've been that person who will just stare at the piece of lettuce. (laughs) And, And because it's hard sometimes to, and that's a silly, you know, example, of course, but um, sometimes I, f- I feel like it's easier to save the person than to save myself in the moment of, of just being really honest. And it's something that I struggle with. And then when I am honest, it just it feels so good, you know? It's just such this, this release and this relief um, from pressure and of, of just holding something in. Um, and I feel it. Yes, very much in my body, very much in my chest and in my gut. And so I've been just practicing trying to be in the moment, um, finding the ground, and, and just speaking my truth, which um, is a practice, yeah. you know, that I think we were born to be truth speakers, but we just through, through you know, experience. Um, some people are better at it than others, but... Uh, think we hold back a lot um, out of fear or whatever, um, whatever, fear of judgment or fear that the other person's not going to respond or react, um, you know, honestly, I guess. Yeah. So I, I really appreciate this topic. I think it's important to be reminded because we do forget. So. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. This is... It is a, it's a skill. It's one that we are cultivating. So uh, the, I'll, I'll finish by reading this. This is um, a list that the Buddha uh, created um, as questions to ask yourself before you actually say something. And there's five things. The first one is, do I speak at the right time or not? So maybe it's really honest and true, but is it timely? Is, you know, is it all about me? <laughs> or is this something I'm going to say cr- that will actually create harmony? Is it timely? Do I speak of facts or not? Do I speak gently or harshly? Do I speak profitable words or not? You know, meaning, is this attending to idle chatter is this a way for me to connect in this moment or is the 
flow of verbal whatever coming out of my mouth right now um, actually disconnecting me from the people I'm with? Do I speak with a kindly heart or inwardly malicious? So we can ask ourselves these questions as we're engaged, especially when we're not embodied and especially when we're feeling kind of amped up in in that fire that sometimes ends up fueling the things we later regret. So... This is a practice. This is something that we're cultivating. And it's such a wonderful, rich place of practice. And, and like Sean said, there's, we're talking all the time. It's like breathing. <laughs> we're constantly communicating. Why not bring attention to it? So, uh, why don't we end with a little metta and dedication? I'll make it pretty quick. And just to take a minute to pause and feel the body here and take a moment to acknowledge our practice and the wholesomeness of being here and the wholesomeness of practicing together. And wishing that that wholesomeness not be just for us, but for all beings everywhere. That this action that we've taken this evening, may it ripple out. May it have a harmonious effect on the people we care about, our larger community, and the world as a whole. May all beings be happy and content. May they be healthy in the mind and in the body. May they be safe from inner and outer harm. May they be able to cultivate harmony within themselves and their brothers and their sisters. May all beings be at ease. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for your attention. Safe, uh, safe journey home or wherever you're going next. And um, just out of curiosity, is anyone stuck needing a ride or a safe way to get home this evening? Okay, great. Okay, have a good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.